For those of you that are new, again, welcome. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. And for those of you that are online, glad that you've chosen to connect with us. Uh, we are continuing our series on Looking Up. And Looking Up is a series that's built around looking at the Psalms of Ascent. And if you're not familiar with the Psalms of Ascent, they are Psalms that were written uh, to help people not only worship God, but also in their relationship with God. Um, these were songs that were written that the Jewish people would actually sing as they would pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And as they went back to Jerusalem, they would, they would essentially uh, you know, go together as a caravan, and, and as they were going on this journey that would be uh, oftentimes take days to get there, they would, they would sing songs. Much like when you go on a road trip, you've got a playlist, right? You've got a playlist that you listen to and that you sing to, and they would do the same thing. And these songs were an opportunity for them to, to worship God, but also describe the journey of following God and trusting God. And they would actually go to Jerusalem three times a year during Passover, Pentecost, and the Festival of Booths. They would actually re remind them of who God is, what he's done, how he's saved them, created them for relationship, redeemed them. And so there's a lot of these songs that begin to kind of talk about what that journey looks like as we follow God and are in relationship with him and as he's redeemed us and how he's provided for us. And this op gives us an opportunity for us to kind of look at our journey with the Lord and how he's created us for a relationship and how he's redeemed us and he's provided for us over and over and over again. And so it's been an amazing series so far. And today uh, we're gonna be talking about a psalm that is actually extremely deep. It's also heavy. It's a heavy psalm. And so if you're here this morning and you're going, man, uh, heavy topic. We, we talk about heavy topics at Real Life Ministries uh, because that's just part of the journey of following God. There's, there's a heaviness that sometimes comes in trusting the Lord and difficulty in trusting the Lord. Um, but I think that it's important for us to, to wrestle through these things. And so I just want to ask you guys a question. Um, have you ever had the rug pulled out beneath you in life? Have you ever had the bottom drop out where you're just like, holy smokes, like I was not expecting this, or maybe you were expecting it um, because of life and the decisions that you've made. Uh, most of you will say yes. Some of you would go, no, no, my life's been good. Um, and sometimes that's a rejection of actually dealing with hard things, dealing with what's actually in front of you. Maybe it's because you've been raised to not talk about the difficult things in life the difficult emotions in life. But some of you maybe have like, no, my life's been really, really good. And I haven't really had that happen a lot. And I, my encouragement to you this morning is, I think that we all have something to learn this morning in regards to when life hits, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to interact with God, what that process looks like. Because I can tell you this, even if your life's been good, there will come a day where it's not good. But in addition to that, there will be people in your life that you interact with that you go, life's not good right now. And I think that our answer to them is really, really important about how we go through difficult things with God. Would you guys agree with that? This week, just to give you guys an idea of what that might look like. This week, um, if you guys don't know, I coach my son's baseball team, and uh, it's been an amazing journey the last couple of years. To be honest, like my journey of me being a coach is starting to wane down as he's getting older and i talk about those things with noah about hey man sooner rather than later like i'm gonna no longer be your coach 
That's just what's happening. But one of the things that the Lord impressed on me a couple months ago is a desire to start a Bible study with his team. And so I just said, all right, Lord, like, I feel like you're asking me to do this. I'm going to be obedient to it. And I got permission from the club president to do that. And let me just tell you, it's a 25-minute Bible study. It's short. And we launched that this week. And I was blown away with what God did in 25 minutes. Within the first 10 minutes, one of the kids openly shared, I lost my cousin last month. Was that God's plan for his life? It's an important question. It's an important answer in that moment. Would you guys agree? And today, we're going to take a look at Psalm 130 that talks about this, this question that helps us actually ask the question, how do we disciple people? How do, how do I lead myself? What does this process look like as I reach out to God? What wisdom do you have, Lord? What do we do when we go through difficulty? What do we do when we go through pain? What do we do when we go through trials? What do we do when those things are either caused by me or not caused by me? What do I do? And what we're gonna see from, from this psalm is that we have answers that God's provided. Eugene Peterson says this, a Christian is a person who decides to face and live through suffering. Suffering. None of us are immune to that. And Psalm 130 gives us a process of how we actually face and live through suffering. And so verse one starts. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I want to stop and just talk about a couple things. Most people attribute this psalm to David. I say David this morning. And David, during this time, there's one of two circumstances that David is facing. One circumstance is that this may be written while David is um, growing in his leadership, but he's being tormented by Saul. And so Saul is pursuing him and, and wants to, to kill him. And so David is crying out to God in the midst of this because he's in the midst of great difficulty. The other situation that other scholars think that, that David might be facing is the sin of adultery with Bathsheba that he had just committed. Whether it's that circumstance or the one before it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter other than we can see David's facing difficulty and pain in the midst of this situation, and he's actually crying out to God, whether that's a circumstance that's out of his control or something that he's caused, he's dealing with tremendous pain. And so we got to ask the question, how does David face that? How does he live through this suffering? And I think it's important for us to recognize that David, in his misery, in his misery, cries out to God for mercy. Many people choose to continue to suffer instead of crying out to God because here's the thing, even though they still suffer, there is company in misery oftentimes. It is familiar, but I can tell you right now, misery is not kind, and it doesn't lead to freedom. David chooses to cry out to God in his misery, and here's the thing. 
I believe, as we can look through all throughout the scriptures, that as we as people that face suffering, when we cry out to God in our misery, when we cry out to God in our suffering, I actually believe that God honors that. I believe that God honor, honors David in the midst of his misery. Because you don't see in the psalm that God doesn't respond by saying, suck it up, buttercup. You don't see that in there. You don't see God responding that way. You don't see God saying, knock it off. But oftentimes in America, that's kind of the response we have to people that we see that are suffering. We ask the question oftentimes, how can I fix this or fix them? I love this quote from Ivan Illich. He says, you know, there's an American myth that denies suffering in the sense of pain. It acts as if they should not be, and hence it devalues the experience of suffering. But this myth denies our encounter with reality. What is your initial response when you are going through suffering? Is it to deny the pain, not to acknowledge the pain, not to cry out to God? What do you do when you see someone else suffering in pain? Do you acknowledge it or do you tell them, come on now, put on your bootstraps? How is your response to people that are suffering? Is it like how God responds or is it not like how God responds? In allowing David to actually process with God what he's going through, there's something pretty, pretty profound that happens. God actually gives dignity to David's suffering and misery. He gives dignity to it. And this act, I believe, is actually an act of mercy. It's an act of mercy. Listening to someone else's pain is a merciful act. And God provides mercy to David. What is mercy? Well, at a very young age, I learned what not having mercy meant. No mercy. You know how I learned it? From this. <laughs> right? No mercy. No mercy. But God's inviting us to not be like the Cobra Kai. Amen. He's inviting us to actually be a people that show mercy. What is mercy? I love this quote. Mercy is love reaching out to misery. Mercy is love reaching out to misery. And what that does is it requires us, it requires me, requires you to actually be a people that are inconvenienced with people's pain. To sit with someone who's going through misery, to sit with someone who's going through pain, requires us to be inconvenienced. And it also requires us to sit with people in the process of them going through pain, maybe sometimes longer than we would actually like. But that's who God is. He comes and he sits with us in our pain. He sits with us in our pain. He acknowledges our pain. He gives dignity to it. And then he calls us to something greater. And I would argue in relationship, we are often quick to try and encourage people to something greater without sitting, them, sitting with them in their pain. And God does the opposite. He sits and he acknowledges. Verse 3 David goes on to say, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? 
But with you, there is forgiveness. With you, there's forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. David begins to acknowledge another aspect of God's character. Not only that God recognizes his misery, but then there's also this amazing thing called forgiveness. That God forgives those who have wronged him or wronged others. I just want to spend some time recapping all the different aspects of verses 1 through 4. Um, that God is a merciful God. That in, his miser- in David's misery, God actually listens to him and gives him mercy. Not only does he give him mercy, but he validates the pain we suffer. He acknowledges it. In fact, it says later on in the New Testament that God, Jesus, in his flesh, experienced all the temptation, all the pain that we experience. The difference between him and us is that he did it perfectly, without sin, without blemish. He lived this life perfectly. And not only that, but God is a God that is just. You notice that he doesn't just say, oh, well, your pain or your, your, your sin, none of that, it doesn't really matter. No, it does matter. It does matter. We all have to live with the consequences of our decisions, whether those are good or bad. And God just doesn't say, oh, that doesn't matter. No, he says, if you're willing to cry out to me in mercy, I'm willing to forgive. And so God is a God who is just. God is a God who forgives. God is a God who is gracious. God is a God who loves you and wants you to come to him and ask for forgiveness. He wants you to come to him and acknowledge the pain and the suffering that maybe you've caused or maybe that you haven't caused. He wants you to come to him. Now, when I look at that list of who God is, that he's merciful, that he validates, that he's just, that he forgives, that he's gracious, that he loves, when I look at that, that that's who God is, I have this question for you. How does that not change you? How does that not change you? That the God of the universe is not a God that is distant from your pain, but instead wants to work in the pain that you're experiencing. And he actually wants to forgive you of the pain that maybe you've caused. And he wants to have a relationship with you. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, that I am going to go through suffering, but I have a God who's like that, that's good news. Would you agree this morning? That whatever suffering I'm going through, God says, I want to interact with you in that suffering. I want to validate it, and I want to forgive whatever you've committed And I want us to be together in that. Or we could choose not to interact with God in that. The good news is that that God is with us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And he invites us to come to him and pour out all that we have to him. And what's fascinating is that when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to go through that process, I actually believe our outlook begins to change in life. David's outlook changes. Look at how David changes in regards to what he's going through. Verse four, did you catch it? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can with, what does that say? What's that next word? Reverence serve you. What is reverence? It's fearful awe of the reality of who God is. And David moves from crying out to God in his own pain, in his own misery, and looks to the character of who God is. And when he recognizes who God is, it actually begins to change his perspective on what it is that he's going through. And he actually changes his heart from like, God, this is what I'm going through, to 
I'm going to reverently serve you. I'm going to reverently obey you. I'm going to reverently follow you in whatever it is you have for me. So what is our response to this? The reality of this is who God is and what he's done. What is our response to this? Well, the one response is to just keep living a self-ruled life. To take advantage of God's grace. How many of you guys have got kids? I don't know about you, but when my kids take advantage of my grace, whew, I would argue it's the same with God. His loving kindness to us. He invites us not to take advantage of it, but instead to continually come to a place of reverence, awe, of serving him. Paul says it this way in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What's he say next? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what God's inviting you into. To go through the process of crying out to him in the midst of your pain, to acknowledge who he is in the midst of your pain and to trust him in that pain and to begin the process of living a new life because of his mercy and his grace with reverence we serve him we surrender to him we make him king we make him lord because that's who we are the old identity is gone the new identity has come and i know for many of you i mean we've got people that are being baptized today to live out romans chapter 6 Amen for that, right? There are some of you that are on the fence about that decision. And here's my encouragement to you. Don't wait. Life is short. And as soon as you think you've got it all planned out, life humbles us really, really quick. And I was humbled again about a week and a half ago. Many of you know, some of you don't know, me and my wife were, were heading out to Melba. You know, why are we going to Melba? Well, my niece was playing a basketball game out in Melba. She lives in Baker City, and so we were like, hey, let's go and watch the game. Well, me and my wife, as we're driving out south of Cuna, uh, out in the agriculture area uh, on Swan Falls, me and her just talking about life. And it's like a little bit of a date night for us. We're talking about life, we're talking about deep things. And I don't know about you, but when I drive and start talking, I kind of get forgetful about where I'm actually going. And sure enough, I missed my turn on the Cuna Caves Road, and we kept heading out on Swan Falls Road. We crossed over a cattle guard out into open range, seven o'clock at night, super dark, no lights. And there is a cow standing in the middle of the road. I had enough time to say cow and swerve. And I think we have a picture. Do you have a picture, Deb? So luckily no injuries. 
other than sore. My wife more sore than me. She was the passenger. Car completely totaled. Fog rolls in, starts getting more dangerous. More cars are coming. Cows are crossing the road some more. Um, two hours later, my, my neighbor's there with us. Cop says we're able to go. We get in the car. We're heading home. And it kind of hits me. We were lucky. As you guys know, you hit a cow head on. That cow tries to jump, rolls in the windshield. It could have been a completely different story. And as I broke down, I just was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Life is short. God's inviting you to be changed, to be renewed, to walk in this new life, to revere him, to serve him, to be in awe of him. And guess what? Life is short. Life is short. But we are called to be a people that glory and bring glory and praise to God who is gracious and who is mercy. Paul goes on to say this, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his, what's that next word? Mercy. God has been merciful to you, to me. And it changes us. It changes us where we begin to recognize God has been merciful to me and I'm gonna worship him and I'm gonna serve him. And then it changes David once again. Look at verse five. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits and in his word I put my hope. We just sang that. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. David moves from a place of crying out to God in his misery to recognizing who God is and what he's done to then being a person who says, I'm going to serve God and be in reverence to God. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to follow him and I will wait for him. And waiting for the Lord in the midst of the pain that you're in, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. I believe it's one of the most mature things that you can do as a disciple of Jesus, that in the midst of the pain that you're facing, that you wait for the Lord. When you have no ability to fix the situation, to cry out to God and to wait for him is the mark of a true, mature disciple. And this last week, I was, I was reminded once again of God's graciousness, his goodness for me and for my family of learning to wait on the Lord. Wait, wait, wait. My daughter, who is 12 years old, suffers with ADD. There is a national shortage on her prescription that helps her to focus in school. We've experienced this the last couple months where she'd have to wait two or three days. We went to get a prescription filled this last time. They said two to three weeks. That pain was significant, is significant for her. Because when she goes to school and she doesn't have her medication, she struggles. And her grades struggle. She suffers. So that causes fear, worry, anxiety. None of us struggle with that, right? 
I was so proud of her. As we let her know what was going on that night, we prayed with her, we talked to her about it. That night, she goes to the Bible app and she starts a devotional. I want you to hear the description of this devotional. Is it hard for you to focus? Do you feel distracted when you try to spend time with God? Dive into Matthew and focus on Jesus. Then you'll see that when you let the waters of distraction settle, you can walk with him if you want your footing, even in storms, turn your attention to Christ. Why is that a big deal? Because in the midst of the pain that she's experiencing, she's choosing to cry out to God for mercy and help and hope. And I don't know about you, I sure as heck wasn't doing that at 12 years old. I know a lot of adults that we still struggle to in the midst of the waiting and the pain that we go through, we actually forget to go, oh, I should probably cry out to God in this time and in this moment. What about you? What are you waiting on? And are you willing to cry out to God in the waiting? You see, when you follow God, it it means that you cry out to him. It means you have to wait for him in the midst of that crying out to God. That you have to put your hope in him. And here's the cool thing. That as you go through that journey and you go through that process, you also then begin the process of calling others to put their hope in him. Notice what David says in verse 7. He changes again the tone. Verse 7. Israel. He's moved outside of himself and crying out to God and sitting with God. And now he's actually turned his attention to his brothers and sisters. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him, with God, is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And so David turns his attention away from his pain, away from his suffering. He turns his attention to God, and then lastly, he turns his attention to those that he's closest to, his nation, his people, and saying, this is who God is. Put your hope in him. What I want you guys to hear this morning is this. Part of the way you show others that you've put your hope in him is by showing mercy to one another. As God showed mercy to David, David now puts his hope in God and calls others to put his, their hope in him. And I would argue David probably was a more merciful person to others. I don't know if you guys have noticed, our church is growing. Those of you who used to come to First Hour, and you're like, I came to First Hour because it'd be like, that ain't happening anymore. And when there's growth in a church, there's a couple things that happen. Things get uncomfortable. Uncomfortable in our small groups, women's group, men's group, home groups. It gets uncomfortable on ministry teams. It gets uncomfortable for leaders 
It gets uncomfortable for elders. It gets uncomfortable for staff. It gets uncomfortable. I mean, I had to turn on the air conditioning today because it's so hot in here because there's so many bodies. It's uncomfortable. Here's what I'm asking. As God has shown you mercy, would you show mercy to one another? It's gonna be uncomfortable. Show mercy to one another. Cry out to God in your pain, your grumblings. Cry out to him. But be reminded of what God's done for you. And here's the thing. I'm kind of crazy. I like to get uncomfortable, kind of. Especially when people get into that baptistry. Sign me up for discomfort. What I'm asking you is, whatever it takes, short of sin, reaching the world for Jesus 1% at a time, I have to show mercy. God, help me to do that. Because of who he is, what he's done for you, what he's done for us. And if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to show mercy to one another, if we're willing to be the church, there will be nothing that stops the gospel from moving forward. Amen? So as we close out, Cry out to him. Wait for him. Put your hope in him. Call others to put their hope in him. And show mercy as he has shown mercy. As we close out, we're going to take communion together as a family. And if you've never taken communion, you would love to take communion. Um, and you didn't grab the elements as you came in, just raise your hand. And I know that these amazing servants would love to serve you communion this morning and give you the elements. And keep your hand raised. Don't be afraid to keep your hand raised so they can see it. They can see you. And I just want to invite you to pray over that reality that God has shown you mercy. So what does it look like for you to trust him, to follow him, to serve him, and ultimately to call others to put their hope in him this morning. Let's spend some time talking to Jesus this morning.
the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread with his disciples. He said, this piece of bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Then he raised a cup of wine, and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood, which is spilled for you. Drink in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that gives dignity to our pain. And God, you are also a God that if we're willing to take ownership, you also are a God that forgives us when we ask. God, help us to be people that cry out to you in our pain. God, that we know that you